do, don't use that as one of the outtakes, please. Um, okay. Welcome to People Who Do Things, a podcast about creating and creative people. I'm John H. Matthews. And I'm Laura Buckwald. So I finally got to watch at least the first part of the Peter Jackson Get Back documentary about the Beatles. Uh And I know you have already watched all 88 hours of it. I have. I have. And and I loved it. I know you did. I am behind um, finding that amount of time to set aside. I guess why I've never watched any of Ken Burns stuff because it's a lifetime commitment to to watch all of that. But um, I have watched the first episode. And of course, I was a couple of weeks late already on it. uh, So I'd heard a lot about it. And, and it still did not take away the impact of of the entire episode, the entire part, but especially of the two minutes that that is being talked about a lot that Jeff Tweedy and all other kinds of people have commented on is seeing Paul McCartney sit there playing a bass like a guitar yes and and it just being this repetitive tone and him just doing sounds over it and it becoming get back yeah it was amazing and it was so cool how we you know could we could hear it forming we could and the melody started kind of monotone and then he started fluctuating it and then all of a sudden he got that full i'm not even gonna try it draw you know the the, the decline in the mel- and and i'm just sitting there staring at this and, and thinking you bastard yeah that scene was just a brilliant example of witnessing the spark of creativity De- definitely something we all strive for in, in anything you create anything you write I, I, I do attempt to write some music, but seeing him do that, who we know wrote, you know, this, you know, broad spans of incredible music and this mm-hmm. being one of the most recognizable tunes. But, you know, I thought it was really cool. And I, I can't remember what happens in which um, segment of the documentary series, but you kind of see the seeds of all of their future solo careers being sowed, sown, sowed, sown. So we'll go with sown. Okay. Planted. How about that? Okay, good. I mean, it's great. And I know people who like our upcoming guest, Jack Grace, who are, you know, experts on the Beatles and their music and their personalities and their lore and know far more than I do. Um, So I love hearing what they have to say. But as somebody who writes music, I mean, that's got to be interesting for you. I I'm very impressed by by the skill set that it takes to write a song. Uh, I, I am too. I, I wish I had it more. I'm not a, a good musician or anything. I just play with that. I definitely stick to to books and and that kind of thing. the The whole idea of creating melody is is mostly foreign to me. And and um. So, but you, now I have heard one of your songs, and I thought it was beautiful, as I've told you. And um, I know you don't want to talk about this because I, I have the benefit of seeing your face as I'm saying this, but um. Can you just tell me, because you wrote that relatively recently, how, how did you do it? I know we're going to talk to more seasoned musicians, you know, for our podcast, but yeah, musicians who you, know what they're doing. You know, you know um, what you're doing. So how, did you start with a melody, a lyric? That, that came from lyric first. Um, okay. um, you know, that was a, a, a result, a culmination of, of the, the weeks and couple months after my father died last November. And, uh, you know, being in the middle of the pandemic and him being a casualty of that and many other things, 
and not knowing how to deal with it. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, sitting down here in my basement working full time and, and doing my writing and doing other things and, and really being in a funk. Yeah. And um, I just sort of, you know, started playing with some words as I do thinking maybe I'd write a short story, maybe I'd do this, maybe I would do none of that. And, you know, I just sort of started tinkering out with that, taking a few minutes here and there, and, you know, eventually grabbed one of the guitars in the corner and started playing with it. And um, then it started taking over more time, and it sort of became this therapy of mine over a few weeks. And uh, spent a lot of time uh, in the evenings and at night just writing more, recording more, re-recording because it sucked and starting over and ditching things and redoing things. And then in, in the end, being fairly happy with what I created and then asking a, a, a good friend of mine to to create one part of it, the guitar solo, which is far mm-hmm. beyond my abilities and him being happy to do so, putting it all together for for my own benefit. And, yeah. and I don't know if the word enjoyment is correct and, and, and just, you know, sharing it with a few friends along the way. It's nothing I'll ever put out into the world for any kind of masses to hear. Well, I'm honored to be one of the friends with whom you shared it. Um, and, you know, I think it's got to be cathartic, right? Maybe catharsis over enjoyment is part of why you put it together. Oh, but it's totally. it's such a nice, I mean, uh, you know, grief can be inspiring is a weird thing to say. But like, I, I've, I've written a lot through grief. I've written um, totally. or out of grief. You know, I, I have a bunch of poems that will never see the light of day and, um, you know, starts and stops of short stories and, and things like that. And I, th- I think most writers write more that people won't see than they will see. And there's great value to that. There is, there is. Writing through grief or about grief also tends or lends itself to a, a, another basic idea of writing, and that's writing what you know. Uh, uh-huh. you know, if you're, you're grieving a father, a, a, a pet, whatever it's, 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 it's writing what you know about and channeling that into something new, which is no different than writing about being an accountant. If you're an accountant. So I'm glad you brought that up. Um, and I know we've talked about the fact that write what you know is one of the most misunderstood pieces of writing advice, um, out there. I found this quote last week from, do you know who Nathan Englander is? Short. I do not. He's, he's a, a short story writer, primarily. And he has this quote that says, write what you know isn't about events, says Englander. It's about emotions. Have you known love, jealousy, longing, loss? Did you want that Atari 2600 so bad you might have killed for it? If so, it doesn't matter whether your story takes place in Long Island or on Mars. If you're writing what you know, readers will feel it. I, I, so I think like... In the early stages of writing fiction, I took write what you know very literally. Yeah, I think I think that that I like that quote because it's about writing from a place that you know, a place of definitely, definitely. And like, like I think we've talked about before is is I've never, I, I don't think I'll ever write a a primary main character that's a woman because mm-hmm. I'm not. Um, mm-hmm. And through most of the books, I realized that um, none of my characters had a mom. She was always out of the picture, usually, usually dead oh, uh, because my mom passed okay. when I was a baby. And right. so I never wrote what I, you know, I, I wrote what I knew. I wrote not having a mother. Right. Uh, until my latest book uh, uh, that came out earlier this year, which was a middle grade fiction. 
and mm-hmm. and the boy has a mother who is a very pretty primary you know character in the book but in the last 10 years of course i have known a mother in in you know raising a, a our child yeah. with one so that's a that's a character type i never knew or understood because i never had it right you know also this ties back to our other another topic that we discussed recently which is research so write what you know and ask a lot of questions to fill in the blanks of what you don't know definitely right? definitely yeah yeah I, I i know i definitely do with the middle grade fiction i talked to other parents of kids a couple of years older because the character was a little older than my own child and i wanted to mm-hmm. make sure that you know it was like does this, this stuff happen you know are they mm-hmm. interested in girls yet things like that um i got to sit and and have a long discussion at a, at a coffee shop with a bomb squad technician from the, the police department here uh, when I was writing one of my Eddie Holland novels, uh, detective novels. Um, and that was quite interesting because I would ask a question. He'd say, hold on, and he'd pick up his phone and he'd search something before answering it because he'd want to make sure yeah. it was actually public information before he answered it. And, not and some... he must have really appreciated the research that you were doing, you know, in the because I, I bet somebody like him, I don't. I don't know how much fiction this guy reads, but you know, probably there is there are um, you know misinterpretations all over the place and and things that would never you know totally unrealistic scenarios. Exactly, um, exactly. I actually my when I was writing the book that's out there right now, um, it, it weather plays a very plays a big role in it. It takes place over the course of a very rainy summer. And so the first person I consulted was a meteorologist to ask, like, what would be considered a very rainy summer in New York City? And weirdly, that the very first line of it has always been the very first line of that book. And, and it's about there being it raining 19 inches over the course of a summer. And I don't know that I picked that number sort of out of the ether, but it turns out that it that that would be a, a rainy New York City summer, but not a completely wildly unrealistic one. Well, that worked out very well for you then. That did work out very yes, well. Yes, the number 19 just must have been stuck with you for some reason. It was. And I'm writing something right now that has a four year old girl. So I'm doing a lot of research on four year old girl behavior and, you know, developmental markers. That that's important. I uh, when when I was writing the middle grade fiction, especially because it did get into bullying and, and into abuse, I uh, I made sure that not only did a couple of school nurses read it before it came out, um, cool. a pediatrician did, and a uh, child psychiatrist. Were these all people that you knew, or did yes. you? Okay. Yes, just you know, you're you're lucky, you know, the people who are in your circle in an expanded circle, soccer parents, people you see at mm-hmm. the bagel shop, things like that, and mm-hmm. and you know, pe- pe- professions that you would never think you'd have any real reason to need information from, perhaps, and then right. all of a sudden it's like I could really use your input on this right now, and all of them happy to do so. Yeah. Well, people like to talk about what they know well and 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 what they do. Um, yeah, I had for my book the three main beta readers. Um, one is somebody who just writes a lot of fiction and knows how to tell a good story. One is a restaurant professional, so I wanted him to go through and make sure all of those details rang true. And then the third is someone who lives in New Orleans who could tell me whether like all that stuff rang true. So yeah, you um, got to get that vibe right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, do you have any 
like favorite pieces of writing advice or writing wisdom? The, the biggest thing to me is, you know, the, the put your butt in the chair. Um, yeah. You know, I, I have a lot of friends, especially once I started putting books out, you know, you always hear the, you know, I have an idea for a book. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I'm always just like, just, just write right. it. And, right. you know, the, the one thing I should recommend, and, and we've gone back to this, I think in almost every episode now is the one inch picture frame. And, and, and I, I think that's the thing is people have an idea, but it's too big an idea. And, yeah. and, and they don't stop to think that, that before they wrote, nobody was a writer, you know? Yeah. You have your people who always want to be a writer went to school to be a writer. Yeah. Maybe they were always writers. I wasn't, you weren't. So you come up with an idea and, and you want to get all, all of this as I motion as if anyone can see it and mm -hmm. get it down on the paper or on the screen immediately. Mm -hmm. And you can't. And, and, and that's the one thing I always tell them is just start small. Yeah, that's really good advice, actually. And I th I'm, I'm at the stage of my book now where I really need to employ that because I have all these big, amorphous, vaguely connected ideas. And, yes. you know, it's, it's not helping me get through this draft. Exactly. Know? Start small, make notes. And I'm horrible at writing notes, but I, I, I do it. Uh, now on my phone and we were in Italy a couple of years ago, uh, we were on boats, we were on beaches, we were in restaurants and I was just typing out madly on, on my phone, uh, cause I'd already started a book set in Italy and then, you know, being back in Italy again, uh, you know, I was just coming up with so many more ideas about the locations and the feelings and the food and the drink. And well, and it, I, I'm assuming you're talking about the more thing is perfect, right? Definitely. Um, you capture it so beautifully. You well, thank you. Italy and, and those experiences and, and, and with such of, specificity too. all right? those scenes came from, from yeah. sitting there. Yeah. 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 Um, well, not all those scenes. No, uh, it's, it's a very sexy book, John. Y yes. So um, I saw you made a note on Facebook, something like a sarcastic comment about it's writing, it's easy, right? <laughs> yes. And it reminded me of in, I think it was 2004 when I was ghost writing that book. Um, that the Dog novel, Walker. The Dog Walker to the Rich and Famous that I was hired to ghost write. Um, and I went away for a long weekend to Jamaica with a friend of mine and we were staying at this resort owned by these expats from like you know the upper west side of new york city and night one um they were there was like a you know a cocktail hour and hors d'oeuvre thing out on the dock and it was really beautiful and this couple was walking around and meeting all of their guests and they came over to my friend and me and said you know what do you do and and uh my friend brian nimitz said well we're both writers i write for I think he was writing for the New York Post at the time and covering nightlife. And she said, what do you do? I said, well, I'm, I'm actually writing a book right now. And she said, oh, what's it about? And I told her and she goes, oh, I could write a book. And it was like, uh. I, and I've heard, I know, I've heard echoes of that yes. from, yes. you know, over the years. And it's like, yes. could you? Great, then do yeah. it. There, there's ahead. room for yeah. all of us. Yeah, there are. I, I love books. One of the greatest things to me about writing is that you don't age out of it you know quite the contrary like i i um one of my favorite short story writers is alice monroe who i believe is in her 80s and she recently published her first novel wow 
My uh, go-to inspiration used to be Harper Lee, who was 39 when she published To Kill a Mockingbird. Um, and then 39 <laughs> sped by and I still hadn't published a book. So, um, but, you know, it's the kind of thing that you can, if anything, you know, age and wisdom only enhance your writing and you can really do it at any point. And everybody's got a story in them. You know, if you have a book and you write it, if you have a yeah. short story, if you have a song, a poem, exactly whatever. a poem, anything. And with um, independent publishing being such a viable option these days and an attractive option, you know, there's really so much less standing in your way of really uh, is. putting something out there mm -hmm. to the world. A anyone can write, and if they feel like writing, they should. And self-publishing is such a viable option, as we always talk about. Mm -hmm. uh, the thing is, is to make sure you're doing it right. Uh, you, you get a lot of to make sure yourself publishing correctly correct correct yes. and and, okay. and going through the whole process because when you get signed with a, a publisher uh, you have an agent you have the publisher you the, the publisher has an editor assigned to you the editor mm -hmm. helps you mold that book into what the publisher wants whether you like it or not um and, and the book comes out and i i believe a lot of self-published authors still you know edit themselves and then yes. put the books out. I don't even want to get into cover art or anything in this episode, but uh, having an editor. Having, oh, that, yes, having an having editor. Having a real editor uh, who works on your book, who isn't just looking for grammar, not just a line editor, but, right, a but some editor. level of developmental editor who will tell you this is good or this is shit. And who, yeah, who will, you know, because when you've written several drafts of something, you forget that you change a detail or you you know you forget that you take a character out entirely or there yes. will be holes so having mm -hmm. somebody who's not so close to it like right you know i don't know about you but like i can't even read my book anymore i mean i i can read it but i i, I can't absorb any of it you know oh no it's just no so no you know it too familiar. well yeah. you know it too well um and you know it in all of its previous iterations as well right. but that's something you know that that's a good um practical thing for aspiring writers is you do have to invest. I mean, you don't have to invest huge sums of money, but you, you do need to invest in your, in your art. You do. And, and finding a decent editor, I mean, you can spend thousands and thousands, yeah. but you can also spend a few hundred, you know, will yeah, the quality I, be the same? Maybe, maybe not, but it's still a second of eye, a se second set second, of eyes yep. or at the, at a minimum. And I do both. I have an editor and then I use beta readers that, like mm -hmm. we've talked about. Um, my new book is with one right now. I call him my pre-editor and then uh, it'll go to some betas and then it'll go to my editor. Right. And by then I feel all developmental arcs will be looked over, gone through and completed and all you know, line editing, grammar typos will be fixed or a majority of them um, before it even gets to my editor. Yeah, your editor shouldn't have to worry about copy edits at, no. at that stage of the game. And and if, if you if you're wanting to be a writer and you don't have friends or contacts who are writers, find a writer's group. I mean, yeah. I'm in I'm in suburban Virginia and I know of several in my area. You're in the middle of Manhattan. You probably can't throw a rock without hitting one. They don't like that when you throw rocks at them. You have been listening to People Who Do Things, a podcast with John H. Matthews and Laura Buckwald. Thank you for listening.